Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. I'm going to read you a, a passage from 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. So if you have your Bibles here, you're welcome to open with me. At um, 1 Corinthians 12, I've been uh, sharing a little bit from this chapter for quite some time, a few weeks now. And I'm going to start reading from 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, to chapter 13, verse 3. It says, Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, uh, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the, the higher gifts or the greater gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. And um, well-known portion of Scripture, especially the second half of it. Uh, so I just want to um, share a bit about it and what, what this portion of Scripture is about, the whole 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, is captured in verse 27. It says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And it's about, as I've been sharing, it's about unity in diversity, or diversity in unity. If you, if you think about it, members of a body, different members, many members of a body, which speaks of diversity, but it's members of one body which speaks of unity. And, you know, we can spiritualize this and think, okay, yeah, you know, in spiritual terms, we must be unity and diversity, and, and that's true. But this is really something that we struggle with. All of us, whether people are Christians or not, they struggle with this. Um, and this is important. One of the biggest questions we have um, all across the world nowadays is especially with globalization and the pluralism uh, of modern culture where you don't have uniform cultures anymore. Even in, in places where people are of the same ethnic background, they're not always of the same persuasion or religion or something like that. So there's, there's massive diversity, massive pluralism. So the question is, how on earth can you maintain unity when there's such diversity? And it's something we're struggling with in South Africa, right? I mean, we have 11 official languages which reflect our cultural diversity, our ethnic diversity. We have massive, massive cultural diversity, more than most nations in the, in, in the world. I mean, most nations have maybe one or two official languages. We have 11. <laughs> Massive. I mean, we're the rainbow nation, right? <laughs> We've got lots of colors. <laughs> um, 
We've also got massive, you know, socioeconomic diversity, you know, from people who are really poor to people who are super rich. You know, I, I lived in, in Franschhoek um, and, and pastored the congregation there um, for a while between 2005 and 2010. And it's one of the most, um, you know, biggest gaps between rich and poor in, in, in Franschhoek. Uh, you, you have people who are, like, really poor and uh, don't even earn, you know, uh, minimum wage. Um, and then you have people who are super rich. You know, Franschhoek was known as the as little little, little France, you know. And next to Cape Town itself, it's the biggest tourist attraction in South Africa. And uh, lots of people came from overseas, especially Europe. You know, they'll come and come and live in Franschhoek. And um, swallows, you know, they'll come six months a year. You know, when it's warm. When it's cold up in Europe, they'll, they'll come down to, to Franschhoek and, and enjoy the warm. And super rich people, when I was there, they were, uh, I, I, I heard there were 10 billionaires living in Franschhoek. You know, and, and these are like people who own their own islands and stuff like that, you know. And, and so you have these billionaires, you know, Toke Sekhwale and all kinds of, you know, really rich people. And then you have really dirt poor people. Massive gaps. And, and, and the question is, you know, coming from such massively diverse and different cultural, ethnic, and social backgrounds, how can we maintain unity? How can you have a society, a group of people that is so diverse and yet has a sense of unity, still one? Because on the one hand, you know, we, we're trying to do nation building as South Africa. We're trying to sort of push the rainbow nation. But we're not really getting it right. If you look at the news, you can see we, we're not really getting it right. We're not one. We're not in unity. I mean, even the political parties, you know, never mind amongst one another, you know. <laughs> amongst themselves, there's no unity. I mean, the ANC just had a policy conference and massive divisions. The DA, I mean, there was this spat between... Musi Maimani and, and uh, what's the lady's name? Helen Zilla, that's right, you know. So, I mean, even within political parties, you know, you know, we can't maintain unity. There's, you know, we can't bring this diversity, which is supposed to be beautiful, together in some kind of unity. And, and so often, you know, people just settle. You know, okay, fine, unity is impossible, so let's just settle for division, and we'll just sort of, you know, the majority will just sort of impose their preferences on the minorities. I mean, that's what we had under apartheid, right? And um, serious divisions, but, you know, you just impose, you know, your will on other people. That doesn't work. It's not sustainable. You know, unless you can get some form of unity, there's, all, there's always oppression. There's always someone that gets oppressed. There's always someone that gets hurt in the process. I mean, you know, another country that's struggling with, with uh, the same thing. I mean, all countries. I mean, if you look at America, for instance, you know, with a, just the past presidential, you know, elections between Donald Trump and, and um, Hillary Clinton. I don't think America's ever been so divided. Um, so they're struggling with the same thing. North Korea, you know, they're they, they really funny to me. Um, <laughs> I mean, serious authoritarian, totalitarian, you know, culture. But, but, you know, what they say is, no, you know, 
Okay, we're not going to tolerate division, but we can't really get unity. So what we're going to impose is uniformity. You know? And do you know that all men, I've heard, I speak under correction, but I've heard that all men, all males in North Korea are by law required to have the same haircut as their president. Is that young, young um, you know, North Korean fellow with that, you know, short on the sides, you know, and this little mop on top? And, and, and apparently everyone's required to have the same haircut as him, you know? North Korean discipleship, you know? You just get the, the right haircut and then, then you're in unity, you know? Then, then, you're, then you're like the president. I mean, so, you know, we, we've, we've had the wrong idea about um, discipleship. We must just get the same hairstyle as Jesus, you know? And then... Then we'll all be in unity and we'll all be Christians, you know. I'm, I'm joking with it, but um, you know, it is it is a little bit funny when you think about it. You know, obviously it's it's quite sad as well in many ways because there's a lot of oppression. Um, but it just goes you to show it just goes to show that we're not getting this right as humanity. We're so different, we're so diverse, and we don't we don't have a solution to this problem of diversity and how to get that diversity into unity. And, and we really want it. And the church is supposed to be that. Many members, diversity, one body, unity. We're supposed to be that. He says, you are the body of Christ. And he says, and God is placed in the church. And, and, and obviously uses body of Christ and church as, as synonyms for one another. Okay? So the church is the body of Christ. You know, and, and so often we... We lose sight of and we forget what the church is. The church is not something you do. And, and church is not somewhere you go. Church is not a building that you go to. I mean, if you ask most people on the street, you know, what is, what is, what is church? Define church. I'll say it's a building that you go to on Sundays. Right? But, but Paul says no. He says you are the body of Christ, the church. Just, just close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to see in big capital letters the word church. C-H-U-R-C-H. Church. Okay? Now, in your mind, I want you to underline the middle two letters of the word. You are. What is the church? You are. You are the body of Christ. So if ever you forget, if ever you find yourself forgetting, or if ever you find someone who forgets what the church is, write down the word church in big capital letters and you underline the middle two letters and you say, you know what the church is? You are. You are the church. We are the church. And that means we are the body of Christ. We are members, many members, diverse members of the one body. We are a unity in diversity and our diversity in unity. Now, we want this... We, we all actually long for, for this kind of community with people who are different from us. To be in unity and real community with people who are different from us. We all need that. Um, I mean, one, of, one, of, one of the biggest challenges of uh, marriage is how do you bring the diversity of male and female into unity? <laughs> you know? Not always that easy. I... I, I, I I sometimes think that the gap between male and female is bigger than the gap between Afrikaner and Kosa, for instance. <laughs> Some of the married guys are laughing because they know what I'm talking about. 
But how do you bring that diversity of male and female into unity? And then you add the children and bring them into unity as well. But we all long for that. We actually want that. We want to be in unity and community with people who are different from us. Um, because, you know, if, if, you, if you only have a bunch of introverts like me, you know, together, you know, it, it gets boring, very boring very quickly, you know. You need some spice, you know. You need some, some extroverts, you know, to spice things up a bit as well and to keep us on our toes. <laughs> you know, um, so, so we want that. So this, this passage actually shows us a few ways, important ways, how we can have a unified diversity of people. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to mention three. Um, Unified diversity requires a divine design. It requires divine design. It requires human desire. And it requires unconditional love. So let's just look at those three things very briefly. Firstly, it requires the uh, divine design. Where do I get that? In verse 28 it says, And God appointed in the church. And then it mentions apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, healings, tongues, uh, helps, administrations, um, God appointed this diversity in the one body. And then Paul goes on and he asks a few rhetorical questions. You know, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Um, do all work miracles? Do um, all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? And obviously, that you, I mean, without even understanding the Greek, you know that the, the answer he expects is no. No, not everyone is the same. No, not everyone is all of those things. God, when he appointed the different positions and functions and giftings in the church, he created diversity. You know, so that you have different members, you know, hand, foot, eye, um, you know, ear, all that kind of stuff. Diversity. Uh, in the Greek, it's even more clear. Um, you have, in Greek, you have two words for, for not or no. The one is ou and the one is may. And if you, if you want to ask a question, a rhetorical question to which you expect a positive answer, you use ooh. Okay? And then, then, you, then it's clear the answer you expect is positive. And if you want, you expect a negative answer, you use the word may. The, uh, you know, it's, it's exactly the same meaning. It's not or no, but um, different words. Now, here Paul uses may, which, which makes it, you know, in the Greek even more clear. He expects a negative answer. No, everyone's not the same. Everyone's not a apostle. Everyone's not a prophet. Everyone's not a teacher. Everyone doesn't have gifts of healing. Everyone doesn't speak in tongues. Everyone doesn't have uh, gifts of administration or, or helps. Um, in other words, there's this diversity that God created. But the point is that God created it. God appointed all of this diversity in the one body. And we saw in 1 Corinthians 12, let me just read that again. Verse 12 and 13, For just as a body is one and has many members, and all the members of a body, are, uh, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. And then he says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. In other words, in order to have a unified diversity, a one body with many members that cross ethnic boundaries, Jew or Greek, that cross socioeconomic boundaries, slave or free, that cross um, the, the different kinds of inclinations and giftings and approaches. You need divine design. Only God can do it. You need to be baptized in one spirit into the one body. 
In other words, the, the point I'm trying to make is we should not be surprised that the world has never gotten it right. I mean, if you look at, at history, at, at world history, it's only maybe for a little while that the world has got it right. And, and it only sort of seemed to get it, get it right by sort of suppressing dissent <laughs> and oppressing certain people. The, we, the world has never got it right. Even the church struggles with it. But what this text says to us is that the only way the world is going to see a unified diversity, the way it's supposed to be, is if it happens through God through divine design, if God does it. If God does a miracle that makes our sameness so powerful that it can accommodate our differentness. Only God can do that. In other words, the only place the world is going to see a solution to this problem is in the church. And praise God, throughout church history, there have been places, I mean, the church has gotten it horribly wrong at, at many times. I mean, um, South Africa, you know, a prime example. Uh, I, I remember in Bloemfontein, um, I had, I had a, f a friend called Johnny. He was a, uh, a black gentleman. And um, one day we walked into a church and uh, we didn't know it was a, uh, what was it, a PPK uh, or APK, Afrikaner Protestantse Kerk, which is like a very right wing conservative nationalist, um, only white people kind of church, you know. So we walked into this church, you know, and we, we thought we were going to worship, and, and we started getting these funny stares, you know. And, we, and, and initially we didn't figure it out, you know. We were, you know, ignorance is bliss and all, so we were worshiping. Also, we, I mean, we were the only guys lifting our hands, you know. Very conservative church, so the guys weren't really comfortable lifting our hands. We were like lifting our hands, worshiping, and everyone was like giving us the eyeball, you know. And um, eventually someone sort of discreetly approached us and um, nicely asked us to leave, you know, and told us we're not quite welcome there. So we walked out and I was like, man, if Jesus were tr to try and walk into this church, he'd get kicked out because he's not white. <laughs> you know, the irony of it, you know. <laughs> anyway, we, we left. But, you know, in South Africa, you, you had many churches like, but the other, on the other hand, I mean, you also had many churches. I mean, under apartheid, the only places where regularly people from all ethnic backgrounds came together were in certain churches. Even now, I mean, you still have many churches who are very segregated. Only certain people are welcome. But then you also get certain churches which are not, which are really where you actually see this. We, we actually see this beautiful diversity, cultural, ethnic, uh, social diversity of us, of the rainbow nation, actually coming together in a unity, in one church, where people actually love each other, where people are genuine family, brothers and sisters, where they've been baptized in one spirit into one body, and where the one spirit they share so overwhelms all the differences, and the difficulties in relating that come, that naturally come along with those differences, and makes us, makes us one family. Now, so, so unified diversity requires divine design. It's not going to happen unless God does it. Not truly happen. But it also requires human desire. Um, it says um, in, in verse 30, um, the city one, sorry, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And what, what Paul means here with the higher gifts or the greater gifts is those gifts that most benefit other people. 
Those gifts that most build up other people. Those gifts that you can use most to bless other people. In other words, what he's saying is God desires this unified diversity. God desires for us to have a concern for one another and to be this unified diversity. But that divine design must become a human desire. Where we want what God has designed for us. And a big part of the Christian life is just that, right? I mean, part of growing up is realizing that it's to your benefit to want and to learn to like what is good for you, right? I mean, in the beginning, you fight. Your mom has to fight with you to eat your veggies. But if you're wise, you learn to enjoy veggies, and I can see some of the guys sort of pulling up their noses, you know. <laughs> they haven't quite managed that yet. <laughs> um, but learning to, to want and to enjoy what is good for you. And, you know, you, you think that if it's a divine design, if God is sovereign, as the Bible says, you know, God is sovereign over everything and He works out His will in everything, um, then, you know, if, if there's a divine design for something to happen, then it'll just happen, you know, irrespective of what we desire. But that's not how God works. God's sovereignty does not work apart from our will and desires. God's sovereignty actually works through our will and desires. And God wants us to grow to the maturity where we actually desire what He has designed for us. Where we actually want what He has designed us for. And that's what it's saying here. Desire those gifts that build up the body, that build this diverse bunch of humanity from all kinds of backgrounds into a unity and build it up uh, in Christ. Um, but then, finally... Um, a unified diversity requires unconditional love. Uh, and we see at the end of chapter 12, it starts and says, and I will show you still a more excellent way. A way that is beyond uh, compare. Actually, I, I don't really um, like that translation. I think it's a bit of a weak, a bit of a bad translation. The, the ESV is usually quite good, but um, here I think it gets it a bit wrong. Because it it makes it sound as if he's saying, yeah, there's all these giftings and the diversity of giftings, but I'll show you a better way, you know. You, you, can, you can either go this sort of not-so-good way of the giftings, or you can go the better way of, and we see it's love in chapter 13. And that's not at all what he's saying. He's saying there are these diversity of giftings, and in, in, in the very previous phrase it says, desire the better gifts, the greater gifts. The higher gift. Desire them. So, so desiring the gifts is a command. It's not optional. And just by the way, did you notice that he's commanding, he's giving this command to desire the gifts to people who are already operating in the gifts. Okay? So you don't have all the gifts you're ever going to have right now. You can get more gifts. Even if you already speak in tongues, even if you already prophesy whatever gifting God has given you, you don't have all the gifts you're ever going to have. Okay? Even if you already have gifts, God commands you to desire the greater or the higher gifts. Those that most benefit the body. Um, and in fact, you know, 
I want to put it this way. If, you really lo- if, we really, if we really love one another, would we be satisfied with w- ministering to one another in our own strength? Would that be good enough for us? Or would we want something better? If I really love Sabrant, wouldn't I want God's grace and God's supernatural power to minister to him rather than just my natural ability? How can I better express love? Through my limited human ability or through God's unlimited supernatural ability? In fact, love, if we walk in the more excellent way of love, it actually requires us to desire spiritual gifts. The more we love people, the more we're going to want to see God supernaturally working in their lives and not just our natural abilities blessing them. That too, I'm not saying the one or the other, I'm saying both. Um, But then he, he says, If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. I mean, he mentions quite a few really deeply spiritual things supernatural things even speaking in the in the tongues of men you know in languages i don't know even in the tongue of uh, tongues of angels i mean how spiritual can you get but he says but if i have not love i'm just a sounding gong and a clanging cymbal i'm making an an empty noise do you realize that you can do things that are intensely spiritual and supernatural and be a noise in god's ears if it's not motivated by love. If it's not motivated by love. He goes on in verse 2 and he says, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. I am nothing. In other words, you, you can have all knowledge, insight, understanding, prophetic um, ability to even know the future. But if, if it's not motivated by love, you're nothing. You're nothing, Paul says. There's this uh, cliche, truism, you know, but it is true. You know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Well, God doesn't care how much you know until He knows how much you care. <laughs> love is what gives everything else its meaning. Now, prophecy, understanding, knowledge, faith, all of those things are good things, powerful things, necessary things, but none of them means anything without love. And then he gets in verse 3 and he says, "Um, And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. I gain nothing. In other words, you know, some people say, you know, Love, the kind of love it's talking about here, is 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 not an emotion. It's it's a it's an action. This verse says no. You can go through all the actions. You can go through the motions. You can do the right stuff, give away, give to the poor, even sacrifice your own body. But if it's not done in a way that is motivated by love, it means nothing, and you gain nothing. You gain nothing. And the word used there for love, every time it's repeated, but have not love. The word used there for love is the word agape. Uh, in Greek you get about three words for love, commonly used. Um, eros, which is um, you know, erotic or sexual love. Um, philos, which is brotherly love or brotherly kindness. 
friendship kind of love. And then agape, uh, which Paul clearly uses to denote unconditional, selfless concern for others. Unconditional, selfless concern for others. And what Paul is saying is all of the gifts, no matter what gifting we have, no matter what background we come from, if everything that we do is not done in the way of love, we'll never be a, a united diversity, a unified diversity. We'll never be. The only way is this way of agape, this agape way, this most excellent way, this incomparable way of love. The reality is, um, in other words, what, what he's saying is the gifts of the Spirit mean nothing without the fruit of the Spirit. If you think of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, etc. Notice that love is once again the first one. And, and as he goes on, he says love is patient. Love is kind. Those are the other two other fruits of the Spirit. In other words, all the other fruit of the Spirit flows out, flows out of the first one, love. Love. And that is the way in which we must do everything we do, including operating in the spiritual gifts, operating in the supernatural. It's what gives everything else meaning. It's the ultimate motive we must have for, for serving one another. Now, the reality is, in the, na in, the, in the natural, we're not like that. In the natural, we're quite the opposite. Instead of having unconditional love and concern for others, often our love is very conditional. Right? Um... I mean, just, you know, look at someone, for instance, um, who, who has lots of money. They always have lots of friends. And then when they lose the money, most of the friends, if not all of the friends, <laughs> gone. <laughs> you know? Um, if you look at people who are popular, they always have something, very often, that the other people that they are popular with want or feel that they need. Um, even in our families most average parents they'll praise you and they'll love you and make you feel good about yourself as long as you're performing well as long as you're getting the good grades as long as you're making the sports teams and so on there are exceptions but for the most part that's it for the most part we tend to hang out with the people that make us feel good about ourselves So human nature is against this agape love. It's, it's contrary to it. It's, instead of being um, unconditional, it's very conditional. And, and, and how I can test it is if you, if you stop loving someone, then it, never, it means you never loved them for the right reason in the first place. If you stop being concerned for someone, then it means you were never showing that concern for the right reason in the first place. And we've all done that. And you know, it, not only is it, not, is it conditional instead of unconditional, but instead of selfless, it's often very selfish. What can I get out of it? And if you, if you doubt your own heart and, and think, you know, but, you know, maybe other people's hearts are like that, but not mine. Just get married, you know. <laughs> it, it's, it's easy to put your best foot forward if you just see someone now and then during the, the week or the day. But if, they, if they're around you all the time, then your true self comes out. And then you realize, I'm not as selfless as I thought I was. 
<laughs> the married people all have this, this knowing smile on their faces. Yeah. We know God has used our marriages to expose our hearts to ourselves. So we know, you know. Um, how can you love? How can you love unconditionally like that? How can you love unconditionally like that? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. I know of one guy who spoke in tongues of men and tongues of angels. But he, didn't, but he did it out of love. If I have all prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. I know of just one guy who had all prophetic powers and all knowledge and all mysteries <coughs> and all faith. And everything he did, when he prophesied, when he taught, he did it out of love. If, we have, if, if I give away all that I have, I know a guy who once gave away all he had so that he could come from heaven to earth. Second Corinthians says he became poor for us so that we can become rich. And if I deliver my body up to be burned, you know, um, we're going to have communion in a moment. In fact, I think you guys can start hanging, handing out the elements of the communion if you want to. Communion is based, the Lord's Supper is based on the Passover meal. And you know what they did with the Passover meal? The, ma the main thing of the Passover meal was the Passover lamb. And what they do is they slaughter the Passover lamb. It was instituted with the Exodus. God said, slaughter the Passover lamb, take some of the blood, you know, slaughter it in, 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 in a basin, take some of the blood, paint it on the doorposts, on the lintels and, and, and um, on the door. Um, and then they take it and, and, and they'll, they'll take a piece of wood and, and tie it together like a cross like this. And then tie, you know, the long end along the back of the, of the, of the lamb and, and, and the crossbar, they'll, they'll take the two front legs and, and sort of pull it open and, and tie them. So, so the the lamb was literally crucified and then they'll, they'll roast it over a fire representing the fire of God's wrath and judgment that comes upon the lamb instead of the one sacrificing the lamb and Jesus as he hung there on the cross he experienced the fire the flames of God's wrath that was supposed to burn us and you know what Romans 5 says that God loved us with an unconditional love. And He proved it. He demonstrated His love in that He loved us while we were still sinners. Christ was crucified for us while we were still sinners. Before we loved Him. God loved the unlovely. And the first step, the first step to being able to love with this unconditional, selfless concern and love for others is to receive that love from someone else. Because we don't naturally have that kind of love inside of us. So it stands to reason, if we're going to get an agape, unconditional, selfless love like that, it's not going to come from inside of us. It has to come from outside of us. We have to receive it from someone else. And Jesus is that person from whom we can receive it. Only if you have so been loved can you so love in return. 
only if you have been loved while you were unlovely can you love others while they are unlovely. Only if you have been loved with a love that cost the person who loved you everything can you love in that way as well. That kind of love comes only from Jesus. Only from God. And we have to receive it. Remember once uh, Jesus said to his disciples when he sent them out, he says, freely you've received, freely give. You can only freely give what you've freely received. You can only give what you have. If you've never received such a love, you don't have such a love to give. You don't have such a love to give. So the first thing that we need to do if we want to and like I said, being a unified diversity requires such unconditional agape love. But in order to give that love, you need to receive it. But, but I mean really receive it. I, I don't mean just know about it. Because you've seen sing the songs, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. There are so many people who know in their heads, Jesus loves them because the Bible tells them so. But they don't really believe it in their hearts. It has never really touched the deepest part of them. It has never actually entered into them. And, and you can see, you can tell if you really have received God's love. You know how you can tell? The same one, John, where, where John says, For we have known and believed the love that God has for us. It says, Perfect love casts out all fear. The extent to which you receive Jesus' unconditional love, perfect love for you, will determine the extent to which fear is cast out of your life. You know, we, we all have this fear of, yeah, any, you know, that's all good and fine, you know, talking about unconditional selfless love. But you know people are going to take advantage of it. Well, guess what? Once you've received that unconditional love, after having taken and still taking advantage of the one giving it to you, <laughs> by the way, as, you, as that perfect love casts out all fear of your heart, it casts out the fear of being taken advantage of. Because you no longer do it to be loved in return. You do it because you've already been so loved by Jesus. I can love others like that because I've already been loved like that. And even though if they don't love me in return, He continues loving me like that. And He'll never stop. He'll never stop. So we, we need, we need, in, in order just to be that kind of community that's a unified diversity, to put on display to the world what God intended community to be. People who are radically diverse, but living in such unity and community that it's beautiful to behold and pleasant to experience. We need to be loved by Jesus so that we can love like Jesus loves. Otherwise, we'll never be able to do that. Have you really received that perfect love, that agape love that casts out all fear? Have you really totally received it or have you only just started receiving it? Has it, re has it to what extent has it cast out all fear of your, out of your heart? Do you want more of it? Do you want to experience more of it? 
just let's let's stand. And as we as we take community communion now, I want us to um, I want us to really receive this as Jesus' love for us. This, this represents the price he paid. Broken body, he shed blood. It represents the price he paid for us in order to show, beyond a shadow of a doubt, his love for us. Every time we celebrate this, we celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was God himself, was suicidally in love with us. He was not only willing to die for us, He did die for us. The most painful, excruciating death imaginable because He loved us that much. And if you look at yourself, just a tip, don't look at yourself. Because if you look at yourself to try and find some other reason why He loves you that much, you're not going to find it because it's not there. He doesn't love you because you're so great. He loves you despite the fact that you're not so great. His love is unconditional. There's nothing that you have to do to earn it. So I just want you to close your eyes. And I want you to receive this as a token of Jesus' love for you. And say, Lord, I really want to receive your love. I really want to know it. I, I really want to, I, I, I want it to hit home. I want it to cut me deep. I want to get it, Lord. I want, to be, I want to be overwhelmed by your love so that I can love others with your love. Lord Jesus, we just receive this broken bread which represents your broken body, broken for us, broken in love for us. Lord, if you had given your body to be broken on the cross but you hadn't done it in love, it would have meant nothing according to your own word. And yet it means everything because... You did give it in love. You were motivated by the purest, the most intense, the most kind, the most gentle, the most selfless love imaginable to die in order to save us. As we eat, Lord, we receive that love. Let's eat together. And Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that you loved us while we were still unlovely. You didn't love us because we are beautiful, but because you loved us, you made us beautiful. Through your blood, which you washed us as white as snow. And we receive, Lord, as we receive your blood, we receive your forgiveness. We receive this new covenant blood as the thing which beautifies us and actually makes us lovely. Let's drink together. I want us just to turn to each other in two by two. And I want us to pray for one another. And I want us to pray two things. Firstly, that pray for the person next to you that they'll really, really receive a greater measure of Jesus' love, unconditional 
love for them, agape love for them. And then secondly, pray that that love, as they receive it, it will inspire them to love others within that way as well. Okay, so I just want you to go get, get together two by two and pray for one another quickly. And then, and then we're going to close. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg. Gave